from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. I'm a representative of uh, Russian Federation here. A young uh, Russian woman arrested in Washington on conspiracy charges. I was so intrigued because I realized I'd had a class with her. Her former classmates were stunned. Journalists who got to meet her were equally intrigued. A colleague of mine and I took her to lunch on October 27th, 2016. She was very unique. Even the relationships with my country. Uh, uh, she was pro-Trump. She was pro-gun rights. She was already uh, pretty deeply into Republican circles. She already had contacts to the NRA. And she was talking up to a point. When we said, would you go on camera with either of us or both of us and say what you have? No, she couldn't do that. Maria Butina was arrested in July on charges of being a Russian agent. But her attorney says... We think the process will vindicate her at the end and that the truth will come out. So who is Maria Butina? An in-depth look starts right now on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Maria Butina, a 29-year-old Russian woman and recent graduate of American University, was arrested on July 15th in Washington. Prosecutors charged her with conspiracy to act as an agent of the Russian Federation within the United States without prior notification to the Attorney General. She was allegedly working with a well-known high-ranking Russian central bank official, who, by the way, has been sanctioned as a part of the U.S. government's efforts to punish Moscow for interfering in the 2016 presidential election. The official is Alexander Torshin, who, by the way, became a life member of the NRA in 2012. Court documents detailed Torshin's and Butina's efforts to allegedly act as an agent of Russia inside the U.S. by developing relationships with U.S. persons and infiltrating organizations having influence in American politics for the purpose of advancing the interests of the Russian Federation. She's pleaded not guilty and has made two court appearances as of this podcast. So who is Maria Butina? We examine that on this podcast by talking to four people, a former classmate, two reporters who got to know her, and her attorney. And that's where we start, with Robert Driscoll, who's represented Maria Butina since February, which obviously was well before she was arrested and when her legal troubles began. Would you describe your your client to us? We know what the case says, but feel free to say what you want to say about the case, but describe your client to us as you know your client. Uh, my client is a recent graduate of the American University master's program. She's a Russian national um, who 
had visited the U.S. several times. It came to the U.S. Uh, full time, and I think uh, 2016 to complete her master's, which she just did. And she's, um, you know, a, a Russian national and very kind of intellectual, vivacious personality. Now, you say vivacious, and a number of people that I've spoken to describe her the exact same way. Um, the thing that um, you're faced with right now is the government's case alleging that she's a Russian agent right. um, because of some of the activities, some of which, you know, her personality, you know, you know, was a part of, obviously, parties and, you know, engaging with people. How do you how do you square that? How do you see that? Well, I, I think that one of the things that's interesting about this case, um, kind of uh, comparing it to, to cases on similar topics, is that, um, you know, it's it's an odd case in that there's nothing covert about this case. I mean, there's allegations, obviously, that she's a foreign agent. Um, and, uh, um, but, you know, it's, it's strange in that it, it would be a strange way for a foreign agent to behave because one could follow basically all of her activities in the U.S. on her Facebook feed and on her Instagram. Um, and uh, most of the things she did were done in public and, um, you know, uh, she was pre- pretty out there in what she was doing, which was essentially advocating for gun rights, which was a personal interest to her. And she was, um, you know, supportive of better U.S.-Russia relations. One of the things that's in, that's come out in the case is that you, you, you've mentioned that you feel as though the government should turn back some things that belong to her, give them back. Uh, right. And you're concerned about how they might be used. Could you explain what that what you mean by that? Um, sure. We're just there was a disagreement we hashed out in court, which uh, hopefully the parties will resolve on their own. But if we need further judicial intervention, we will. Um, we're trying to just determine, uh, obviously, items received from her apartment. In the normal course of, uh, of a case like this, the government will give those items back to us. Uh, and it just there's a question of whether or not those items should be under any restriction or protective order in terms of the uses to which they can be put. Okay, could you tell us what your view, what you've said a few times to the press already, but uh, I haven't had a chance to to, to be there for them, what your view is on the charges against her and what you think about her in this particular case? Yeah, I think that she'll, uh, she denies the charges uh, against her, obviously. We pled not guilty in court. Uh, we think she'll be vindicated at the end of the process. Um, and we're willing to let the process play out. But I, I believe in her innocence, and I think that the... Uh, um, you know, the, the process play out. She believes in her innocence, and more importantly, uh, and, you know, we're willing to, we think the process will vindicate her at the end and that the truth will come out. What is? What do you believe is the truth? Uh, I believe the truth is that she did not violate any U.S. laws and that she's a Russian national who visited the U.S. for her own reasons, to advance her own education and advance her own causes, and was not acting as an agent for... Um, uh, a foreign entity, as is uh, alleged in the indictment. So the FBI, or at least authorities, say they've been watching her for a few years, and some of the people that she engaged with are people that are of great concern to the U.S. government, like Alexander Torshin. Um, how do you how do you view that that interaction? Uh, again, I think there's there's been no um, there's been no. Uh, question about that, that she's been friends with Torsion. She's traveled with him publicly. She's been identified as assisting him in some of his gun rights activities and other things. And the question will be whether she was uh, acting at direction of the Russian government, which I don't think she was. Both uh, Torsion and Maria were uh, kind of gun rights people and shooting sports activists. Um, you know, both uh, were uh, 
proponents of better U.S.-Russia relations. And so the fact they had a relationship isn't really a, a question that they were friends, mentor-mentee type of relationship. There's lots of communications between them which were voluntarily provided by her. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's out there, but I, I don't think that establishes that either of them were acting at the behest of the Russian government for any of their trips to the U.S. Mr. Driscoll, how would you describe your, your, your client's uh, mood or disposition right now? Um, I, I think that under the circumstances, she's doing quite well. I mean, I, you have to always start with the baseline proposition of, um, you know, when, when somebody's incarcerated, you know, that's not great. Uh, that's not a great place to be. Um, but I think that being said, I think she is, um, you know, wants to participate in her defense, and we can hopefully get her some documents and some other things to go through to help the lawyers do that. And I, I think she's doing what she can and trying to remain optimistic. And um, what do you see as the uh, your base? Well, what is the heart of your defense? If, if you could, if you can answer that question. Well, I mean, it's important for everyone to remember that that, that um, anyone in in Ms. Boutina's position is presumed innocent under the law. And yeah. So really, we don't have any obligation at all. The, the obligation is of the government to prove their case. Um, I think the government won't be able to prove their case. But moreover, I think that you know when the truth comes out and everything's shown. Uh, what what happened during her time here in the U.S. is that um, she is simply a, a, a fairly typical, if, if smart and ambitious, 20-something who came to the U.S. to advance her own career and advance her own interests um, and was not um, uh, a foreign agent, as alleged by the government. Two more quick things. Um, considering the extraordinary situation that we're in in this country right now with the the FBI, uh, the government probing Russian inter- right. interference and, you know, the advent of social media and some of the things yep. that we've learned since the 2016 election. Do you think this case in any other era without the kind of intrigue and kind of developments that we have now would have been a case? It's hard to know. Um, you know, that's one of my jobs as her attorney is to make sure that her case is considered on its own. I mean, I know certainly in a news environment and in a public environment, it's easy to merge her case and some of the other cases that are out there about alleged Russian interference in the election or special counsel Mueller's investigations or things like that. But really, uh, my job is to make sure, uh, and the court's job and the court will, um, you know, make sure that um, this case is about this individual and whether she is guilty of what she's been charged uh, with by the government. And so, I mean, uh, the rest of that stuff, um, you know, uh, it, it's naive to think that that's not out there and it doesn't affect things. But at the the, the end of this, we have to, um, the government has to prove that this individual was involved in this these bad acts that they claim in their indictment. And we don't think they'll be able to do that. We think we'll be able to show otherwise. Last thing, is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about as it relates to this that you would like to say or to point out to us? Uh, I think that's important for people to realize she's not been charged with espionage. Um, she's not been charged with dealing with classified information. There are no allegations of her engaging in what I would refer to as typical spycraft behavior. Um, the government's allegations are that uh, essentially uh, her involvement with um, the NRA, other political organizations, 
um, uh, and, and certain dinners and things like that in the U.S. were at the direction of a foreign government. Um, not that those activities are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they're undertaken in the direction of foreign government. So it's, it disturbs me a little bit to see a reporter as a spy and things like that because there are simply no allegations of you know, solicitation of classified information or um, you know, trying to recruit uh, spies or transfers of money or anything like that. This is all fairly typical uh, behavior, uh, but the government is saying because it was undertaken at the direction of a foreign government um, that, that it's illegal, and we don't think that was the case. Okay, Mr. Driscoll, thank you. Appreciate your time. All right. Take care. Bye. And we told you about Butina recently graduating from American University with a master's degree. That is a curious story in and of itself, because prosecutors say it was all a cover. So we went in search of some of her classmates and found Andy Lalwani. He graduated with a film degree in May of 2018 and lives and works in Los Angeles making videos online. We talked with him about his interactions with Butina. Andy, you found yourself in a very interesting situation probably on Sunday or Monday when the news broke out about a woman by the name of Maria Butina being arrested in Washington on some serious conspiracy charges, essentially being a foreign agent. Tell us what went through your mind when you heard the news and realized who it was. I was so intrigued because I realized I'd had a class with her. Um, I had come across Facebook and a lot of my former classmates in, in this finance course I took my last semester of college were posting like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this girl would be a Russian spy. Like, is it true? And it just kind of made you think like, wow, how did I not, not see this coming? But <laughs> definitely something stood out about her. So, so tell me what class was it? When was it? Uh, under what circumstances was the class? When, what time of day was the class? And just give us the, the nitty gritty details about the class. Yeah. So the class was like a finance course, very, very introductory finance course, 230. And it was taught by a professor named Will Armistead. There's about 26 students and like Tuesdays and Fridays each morning from 8, 10 to 9.35. So nobody wants to be there. Nobody's really paying attention much. And if they are, they're trying to figure out how to pass the class. So I remember at the time, every morning I'd be very exhausted, like waking up and talking about hard finance concepts. And she would be very eager to learn and very willing to talk to the professor. And as the class went on, people started realizing the professor was very pro-Trump. And I think she started realizing that as well and maybe had conversations with him about things outside of finance after class. But um, it seemed really weird for her to be in the course. She was talking about her past life at times and um, didn't always reveal a lot, but she said like her family owned a furniture store at one point and finance was really important to her because she wanted to learn about how to help that store. And she was on her, I believe, second or third master's degree or something of the sort. So it just seemed a little off for her to be in the course itself. Absolutely. You know, you're, I think you said this is an introductory class? Yes, that's correct. So a lot of students would have to take it as a requirement yeah. um, to fill their minor or their major. It's not something that really anybody wants to take at a college level. Right. So, um, so, so if she already had two or three masters, why would she need to do that again? Right. I think it was very confusing for anybody to be taking that who was, I believe she's 29 and I had not realized she was that old also. I thought she was younger and, you know, like maybe she never took a finance course and her other degrees, but it definitely started to become a little skeptical. 
And um, so you mentioned the concern your, your your peers and former classmates mentioned on on social media later um, about uh, wow could she possibly be a spy? And of course that's still not determined yet. But um, uh, was there ever a time during the course of class or during the course of your studies that that thought crossed your mind? It definitely made me concerned when other people would say like they had classes with her. I saw a Facebook post that somebody used to joke about um, another class that someone had had with her. Um, them joking that she could be a spy. And when these charges were, you know, like presented against her, someone was like, oh, my gosh, we always used to joke about this. And, and it could be true. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So how was she in class? Tell us about her personality and interactions in class with you guys. Um, overall, I would say that she was very eager and it definitely seemed like she had an understanding of finance and she very much knew her way throughout everything. She had this intriguing personality where she seemed to always want to learn mm -hmm. and it kind of made us always feel like, okay, like this girl is the overachiever a little bit in the class mm -hmm. and she definitely kind of made herself stand out through those endeavors. Um, not always she was right, like in finance itself, the professor would, you know, have to course correct, but she definitely was vocal in the class. Did you ever have any personal interactions with her uh, beyond just, uh, you know, a classroom question or setting or situation? Not really too much. I do remember that there was a time I thought about sitting next to her because she seemed like she knew a lot about the finance course. And maybe if I sat next to her, I'd understand the concepts a little more. Um, there's also a group project at one point in the class and you had to be in total with five total group mates in your class. And I just remember people were talking about, you know, potentially like grouping together with other people or being with her. And I think I kind of stayed past that because I didn't, I didn't really know her that well. I didn't feel comfortable going in an endeavor project for two months with someone like her. Mm -hmm. The, the idea now that you know what you know and you've read all that you've read and heard all that you've heard, have you sorted out yet um, what you think about all of this? I think I'm very confused. Um, seeing a lot of the charges and a lot of things that have come up on social media about her, I'm kind of surprised that this wasn't brought up sooner. Um, and definitely like thoughts of any sort were not, you know, like presented against her. Definitely seeing pictures of her at like NRA conventions and um, some other potential facts that have been said for like her exchanging of information um, kind of concerns me. And I thought, you know, like what means did someone go through like a vetting process through going to university or like a background check if she's had degrees or who's paying for this degree? It kind of all has some red flags now and it kind of made me concerned. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I've heard, in fact, it was posted on her LinkedIn profile that she's now, at least at the time of her arrest, a, a, a research assistant in the Kogod School. Um, find that okay. Do you find that remarkable or interesting? Um, I think that is something that any part-time, you know, any student can pick that up. I believe it's a paid position. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's if people want to make some money while they're, you know, completing their degree, they're able to do that. Um, I'm just surprised that she usually like that kind of position is for undergraduate students I've heard um so I don't know I'm surprised she didn't get a job that's off campus or in DC but maybe she was trying to stay close to the university 
That's Andy Lalwani. He was a classmate of Maria Butina's at American University as she worked on her master's degree. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us, Andy. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. And after a short break, we'll take a look at another side of Maria Butina's life. I met her at a party at a friend's house along with another conservative who was there. And in fact, a whole group of conservatives. That's when we come back on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. So far, we've heard from Maria Butina's lawyer and from a classmate about those parts of her life. And now we're about to dig into another. She was involved heavily with the NRA and involved in the Washington, D.C. conservative scene and was not shy about speaking to reporters. Two of our colleagues knew her and actually sat down with her for lunch. John Gizzi of Newsmax and Philip Crowther of France 24. First, Mr. Gizzi explains how their acquaintance began. I met her at a party at a friend's house along with another conservative who was there and in fact, a whole group of conservatives and the person who brought her to the party introduced us. Like a lot of other people, I was fascinated with her background. Uh, Born in Siberia, started a pro-gun owner group in a country with no private gun owners, and did so with the blessing of the legendary General Kalashnikov, inventor of the AK-47, who told her, as she put it, give Putin hell. And I thought she would be an interesting interview. Mm -hmm. A colleague of mine and I took her to lunch on October 27th, 2016. Mm -hmm. Once again, very interesting to talk to. Uh, Had great stories. She believed without hesitation Donald Trump would be elected president and said that our country and hers would have better deals in the future. It was just a... Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a few questions. The colleague, who was the colleague? Philip Crowther, Washington correspondent for France 24. Okay, and and I would I would imagine um, he wasn't necessarily pol- politically prescribed to either side, was he? No, he wasn't, and he agreed with me. She would be an interesting interview to have, given her background and uh-huh. her position. How many people did you know who were anti-Putin and pro-Trump? <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, it's especially when you look back at uh, the information operations that the Russians were running at the time. There were people that were uh, on both sides of the issue, or, or at least it seemed as so, looking at the information they were putting out. But in reality, they were all pro-Trump. Um, how, how would you describe her personality during your meeting? Vivacious highly intelligent, um, easy to talk to. And I might add her accent was slight. Her English was excellent. And she was clearly enjoying herself 
talking to reporters. Mm -hmm. However, all of that had a cutoff point when we said, would you go on camera with either of us or both of us Mm -hmm. and say what you have? No, she couldn't do that. She was too involved in her studies and other things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she had time to go to a lot of conservative events. And she went to the Freedom Fast, where she met Donald Trump. She went to the Conservative Political Action Conference. And she was later at the National Prayer Breakfast, I learned. Mm -hmm. But never anything where she could be cross-examined. Now, looking back at that development, what do you make of her declining to uh, go on the record on camera talking about these things based on what you know now? Well, I think the uh, events of the last three days speak for themselves. Uh, I know someone is innocent until proven guilty, but if the charges against her are true, she did not want to be cross-examined about any of her claims, ranging from knowing Marshall Kalashnikov to heading a group that was pro-gun owner in a country where private gun ownership is against the law, uh, to being opposed to Putin, to any contacts with Donald Trump and her campaign. That was all off ground. Yeah, you know, I read your piece, and um, in the piece, you you guys looked like you're having a great time. Where were you? We were at Joe's Seafood Restaurant on 15th Street in Washington. I might add... One of my favorite places, if uh, the management is listening, and I've conducted a lot of interviews there with different people, mm-hmm. and uh, but it never got to that stage of an interview. Tremendous conversation, but nothing substantive that we could ever put on the air or put in writing. Now, looking back on the situation there, what did you learn from her that day during your two-hour lunch? What I learned was that... Uh, Russians had a very great interest in the U.S. politics. Uh, The world is a very smaller place. Second, that this is someone who was highly intelligent and was obviously going to do something for an extended period of time in the United States. Why else would she be getting an advanced degree? And she cited her background as teaching as well. These, of course, are things that I can't verify, but I'm sure will be verified by federal authorities one way or another. Um, What I learned was that there are people from Russia, I felt, just as there are people from France or Germany or the United Kingdom or parts of Africa um, who truly enjoy the United States, enjoy the freedom here, and try to learn from it and fit in. Uh, If the charges against Ms. Bettina are true, then obviously they had ulterior motives for doing so. Mm -hmm. I might add that I felt a little bit upon hearing the news like James Jesus Angleton, then head of special (laughs) operations for the CIA in the early 50s, later an important figure in counterintelligence. And he would have lunch on a regular basis with Kim Philby, 
right. a top intelligence officer at the British Embassy. Right. And he learned several years later that Philby was a top spy for Russia and, in fact, defected to Moscow, where he became known as Comrade Kim. Uh, I might add, it took me one lunch and several attempts to get an interview, and I still never imagined that this person was a spy of any kind. And then, of course, the news confirmed it. Assuming that uh, she is, as the charges uh, say she is, and you did lunch with her as you did, what do you think Moscow and Putin know about you now? What did she learn from you? Actually, not that much. Uh, She seemed much more interested in talking about U.S. politics or her studies. And... um, well, I guess, I guess the question that I'm asking, though, is is she was interested in sitting down with you, but not going on the record. Later, you 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 found out she was unwilling to do that. But she had to be willing to sit down with you for some reason, even if she did decline to do anything more with it. Was it just to be seen with you or what do you think? Well, I don't know if that benefits anyone to be seen with me. Quite honestly, there's some people who wouldn't like to be seen having lunch with me because they think something they say will wind up in a column of mine. They have no worries. When someone says off the record, I honor that. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure. Uh, This is someone I believe who liked attention. When I first saw her, a lot of people were asking her about Russia and uh, Putin and there was a curiosity about her. Mm-hmm. But as for her curiosity about Philip or me or our backgrounds at all, I did not find that. Uh, I could have said that I was from another publication, from USA Today, from WTOP. Mm-hmm. And she probably would have sat down, but it would have been the same focus on her life and herself. Mm-hmm. Do you... Um... Do you think, so you say she was popular at this particular party. How well-known was she in those circles, in that room, among those folks? Well, she'd been in the United States, I later learned, since 2015. And she was beginning to get known. Obviously, if you do a Google search about Maria Butina, you will find her at different functions, often in the company of Alexander Torshin who, of course, is a Russian oligarch and someone who at one point had a good relationship with Putin. Mm-hmm. I'm, not care- I'm not sure what their standing uh, is today. But she was someone who was then starting to become known, and I later learned was a particular favorite at the National Rifle Association. Mm-hmm. In addition, she was somebody who wanted to go to events where American political figures were. You will note that she was with Governor Scott Walker, and he posed for pictures with her at a major rally he was holding. This is the governor of Wisconsin who stood up to organized labor to end collective bargaining in the Badger State. So she was becoming known at the time I met her. Mm-hmm. Um. So why why do you think she was so confident that uh, Mr. Trump would win the presidency? Well, I can't attribute 
or I can't really analyze that. Why do people feel strongly about elections? I don't know. Why do they have gut instincts uh, about things? I have no idea. Mm. I might add that after decades of covering American elections, I sometimes have strong feelings about candidates that I'm sure are destined to win. And more times than not, I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Do you get the sense that she, knowing what you know now, and um, not looking to try to, you know, buttonhole you on, you know, as 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 saying John Giza said this, uh, and and that's gospel. I'm simply looking at uh, what your thoughts are about this as I sure. ask this question. Do you get the sense after reading the indictments and seeing all of the information that's come out about her relationship uh, with uh, Torsion and 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 with the FSB? that she has other colleagues here that are working essentially the same mission set? If she does, they are much lower key and under the radar. Again, I remind you, she was someone who was becoming a popular personality in her own right. And I have no doubt other journalists who saw her wanted to bring her in for interviews uh, and I'm sure she had identical conversations as she did with Philip and with me. Uh, she was, as Philip said, uh, there was no way we were going to turn down lunch with Maria Butina. Uh, she was a very uh, unique personality. Others have said because of who she was uh, and a particular charisma, a mastery of English, and a compelling story, um, we were going to uh, get to know her and talk to her about things. I don't know anyone else who's that high profile from Russia. Do I dismiss the chances that they're all out there? Not in your life. Anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important as it relates to this meeting with her and the aftermath? from then to now? If I were in another line of work, rather than reporting, uh, if I had, say, more contact within the federal government than she deduced that I did, then I would simply say that um, perhaps we would have talked more and I would have learned more about her. But one thing has become clear. If indeed Ms. Bettina is a spy and was a spy, then the last thing she wanted was cross-examination on questions. I remember I felt it odd that someone would be anti-Putin and pro-Trump. Uh, recent articles have downplayed her opposition to Vladimir Putin, although it's quite obvious that when she headed a pro-gun owner group, uh, she was defying the state in Russia, and that added uh, uh, some burnish to her charisma. That's John Gizzi, White House correspondent for Newsmax. John, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Well, thank you for having me, J.J. John mentioned that he and another colleague of ours had lunch with Maria Butina in 2016, 
That individual was France 24's Philip Crowther, White House correspondent as well. And I spoke with Philip about his interpretation and uh, his impression of the time he spent with and after um, the lunch was over, um, his in interactions and communications with Maria Butina. Philip, you met Maria Butina several years ago. Tell us about the circumstances. How, do, how did you meet her? How did you come in contact with her? Well, this was a lunch, uh, a relatively typical uh, D.C. lunch close to the White House. Uh, not just myself and Maria Butina, uh, John Gizzi, uh, White House correspondent for Newsmax, was almost also there. Newsmax, of course, being a conservative news outlet that uh, has been gaining quite a lot of uh, power uh, in the United States uh, during the Trump administration. Uh, so uh, he might have been of interest interest to Maria Butina. So the three of us went for lunch. Uh, the reason being, uh, Maria Butina was of obvious interest to both of us. Um, she was, of course, pretty exotic, but uh, just interesting in terms of what she brought to the table, literally. Uh, she was pro-Trump. She was a young Russian in Washington, D.C. She was pro-gun rights. She was already uh, pretty deeply into Republican circles. She already had contacts to the NRA. Uh, and this came just two weeks exactly before the presidential election in November of 2016. And you might remember at the time, Republicans more and more, or at least one part of the Republican Party, members of Congress, for example, were getting more and more interested in Vladimir Putin. They seemed to like him more and more. There was this fascination with the Russian strongman. And so she might have been the key for us to understand some of that. Uh, she was definitely somebody who was a very, very interesting source for mm -hmm. us uh, and somebody who we tried to stay in touch with and I tried to stay in touch with over the last few years. Minimal email contact uh, anytime I wanted to meet her. Uh, she'd essentially say uh, she was too busy with her studies at American University. Mm -hmm. And she, of course, did graduate from American University before uh, this whole uh, court case began. So... Um Back to the beginning, um, how did you? How did the lunch come about? How did you meet her to to, to set up the lunch? So uh, my my colleague John Gizzy with Newsmax had met her uh, before that. Um, I don't know exactly what context this was. Uh, he is somebody who's uh, more than happy to uh, introduce other journalists to his contacts, and uh, this was obviously a source uh, that was uh, very much worth. Uh, meeting and going to lunch with, uh, and uh, she was of equal interest to uh, both of us as a potential source. Of course, we, and I think probably um, John Gizzy a little bit more than I, might have also been of interest to her, of course. Uh, <laughs> she made one or two media appearances, though she refused to go on the record with us. And of course, uh, he was somebody who, uh, you know, is a conservative journalist, and those are the exact circles that she was trying to get into. Knowing what you know now, what do you make of her refusal to do an interview after deciding and agreeing to spend two hours at lunch with you? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, she, she, it was an interesting, you know, off-the-record conversation. That is absolutely fine. Uh, but she clearly gave me enough of, of an impression that I thought she was definitely worth a story. Uh, she has done plenty of stories, uh, but only in the written media, as far as I know. I have not heard her voice in radio pieces. I have not seen her interviewed on television. And so uh, that was, uh, it seems, never going to happen. I thought she was going to be a very, very interesting voice to contribute to a piece, for example, on the newfound Republican fascination with all things Russia and Vladimir Putin 
and with her, of course, as a person herself. Uh, that uh, that never came to be. That's of course something that uh, that I accepted. If she didn't didn't want to go on the record, that was absolutely fine. Um, she did, though, of course, seem to want to sell something in a sense. She had something to say. She was, according to her, at least, trying to stand up for gun rights in Russia and was trying to do that by being in touch with the likes of the NRA in the United States, something that I would presume she would be happy to talk about uh, on the record on camera, uh, but that never came to be. So knowing again what you know now, put in context, tell us how the actual lunch went. What was her demeanor like? How was it to engage with her? Well, she was, uh, she was certainly engaging. Um, she speaks very good English. Uh, she was just very interesting as a person for us. We, we spoke about, uh, you know, her studies at American University. She even taught Russian history. She told us uh, her role within this gun rights organization in Russia uh, was of interest to us. Uh, she spoke openly about that. She spoke uh, openly about her contacts with the NRA and her interest in the NRA. Remember that that is very much part of uh, what the government uh, says she was trying to do as a Russian spy. They say that she was trying to infiltrate uh, these uh, conservative organizations or gun rights organizations. She didn't hide that. Uh, and there was certainly a fascination uh, with conservative circles for her, with uh, people who uh, were high in rank within the Republican Party, for example. We, I think she uh, dropped one or two names here and there. And also, of course, what, with a lot of hindsight, was particularly interesting to me was that she was among the very few people you would speak to two weeks before the presidential election who was actually uh, pretty confident that Donald Trump was going to win this election. With hindsight, that really stands out to me. Uh, in the affidavit, uh, there is mm -hmm. a mention of her already saying in the year 2015 uh, to one of her contacts that she was confident that the Republican Party would win the presidential election. It seemed unlikely then. It seemed even more unlikely at the time when we met. Two yeah. weeks before the presidential election, Hillary Clinton was clearly the favorite. And that, of course, with hindsight, that sticks with me. Uh, I'm not saying that she knew more than uh, than other people. Uh, but her confidence was something that was very, very hard to come by at the time. And also realizing what we know now based on the affidavits and the documents from the, the prosecutors in the FBI, she had some very deep connections to the Kremlin and the Fifth Directorate and Alexander Torshin and others that we don't know names of. And do you get the sense that she was more than just um, a citizen who actually came into this this opportunity or was she trained well with hindsight of course and this is all about hindsight so maybe my opinion changes um she did mention um alexander torsion as far as i remember at our lunch uh, as somebody uh, who worked for the central bank in russia and somebody he, she was closely in touch with she did not hide that uh, that is what is so interesting here uh, she if she was indeed a russian spy uh, had so many elements of her that with hindsight really fit that description. Um, she was, of course, charming. She was a ru young Russian lady, according to uh, the uh, federal government. She even, and that was, of course, not the case with me or my colleague who was at lunch, she even uh, tried to, at the very least, flirt with 
uh, her Republican contacts, even offered sex, according to the uh, U.S. government. Certainly didn't happen in our case. But, uh, you know, those are just uh, things that uh, seem outlandish now, seem like something that's come straight out of a, a, a TV uh, mystery series, if you will. Uh, <laughs> she, she was very, very open about the contacts that she had already made. And that is what made her... I suppose, not seem like a spy. Uh, mm. She was just very, very honest, I suppose, about the context she had already made. A lot of what I read uh, that came from the uh, federal government in, in, in its documents does not really surprise me. Some of it I actually knew. Mm. Now, a couple last things. Um, you know, as you go back through everything in your mind and having read those documents, and I've read your piece that you wrote about your lunch and John Gizzi's piece as well. Um, is there anything that you came across that suggests to you that she wasn't alone here doing what she was doing, what she's charged with? That's an interesting question. Um, she presented herself as many different things. Uh, first of all, I, I would say first of all, as a student, um, as a student who was just particularly passionate about gun rights in Russia. Very strange combination, uh, but that, of course, uh, caught our interest. I wouldn't say there was any indication to me that there was more than just the one person sitting at that table. Now, with what we know, who knows? There might have been uh, an FBI agent next to us uh, because the FBI was following her uh, for years, ever since she entered the country in 2016, a few months before we actually met her. And uh, indeed, uh, she had been coming to the country and going back to Moscow for years before that. She did mention uh, her contacts within the Russian government. She also, and this didn't seem clear to me, whether she was pro-Putin or anti-Putin. That was really mysterious about this. Maybe that was part of, uh, of her role, I suppose, uh, to not seem too pro-government, if you will. But no indication uh, for me that she was uh, working with anybody else, no. But she, she was evasive after that. I befriended her on Facebook. That is, this is something that uh, apparently she did with pretty much everybody she met, in Republican circles at least. Uh, she would befriend people on, on social media. I certainly did that. So I felt like I was keeping up to date with what she was doing. Uh, there was nothing that particularly caught my attention, except, of course, that... Um, uh, when Donald Trump did become president, she tried to get closer and closer to him. And why not, I thought. She was part of the Russian delegation that went to the national prayer breakfast. Uh, that's apparently when she tried to actually broker a meeting uh, with the U.S. president. That didn't happen at the time, but she posted photos quite happily. Uh, so, again, another part of this story uh, that made her look a little bit less like a spy, I suppose. She was open to us about who she knew. She was pretty open on social media about where she was, who she was with. There are photos with uh, with Mr. Torshin uh, right there on Facebook that I saw. Uh, so um, it's, it's, it's mysterious, of course, as all spy stories are. <laughs> exactly. Philip, again, uh, thanks. Great work. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. And again, we appreciate the work you do on Friends 24 every day. Absolutely. It was a pleasure and thank you for having me on. I'm a representative of uh, Russian Federation here. Uh, We're really and, uh, just beginning to learn about Maria Butina's story. And you can bet we will be back to this story very, very soon. In the meantime, coming up on our next episode of Target USA, a story you won't want to miss. 
there are 11 Americans who are on a list that's called Putin's list. And that list is of people connected to the Magnitsky Act. And considering the suspicious deaths of enemies of Vladimir Putin, the people on this list, specifically Kyle Parker, are concerned. I am being targeted for my service to my country, mm -hmm. right? Not, not because of something I do in my spare time. Mm -hmm. I expect my government at the highest level, I expect my president, I expect my State Department, my Justice Department, to make it very clear to the Russian government that this is unacceptable. This sort of an escalation, this sort of going after, in my case, congressional staff. Mm -hmm. um, many on those, most on that list are, are executive branch officials. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I expect that. I'm not, uh, I'm not scared. This mm -hmm. isn't going to cause us to deter our work. Right. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it's something that we do expect the U.S. to take seriously. The spellbinding story of Kyle Parker, chief of staff of the Helsinki Commission, coming up on our next edition. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. If you like this show, then join Heather and Terry Dubrow on their show, Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig, each Tuesday on Podcast One. They talk all things health, wellness, and beauty, from clinical science effectiveness to consumer practicality. It's a blast. You don't want to miss a second of it. Check out Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig at Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Also, remember to rate and review. And since it's the summer of lovin', in honor of the Bachelorette finale this week, you may also want to check out Off the Vine with Caitlin Bristow and The Amber Rose Show exclusively at Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.